1: walking the path with the Buddha. Today we're going to be doing a live guided meditation where we're going to be doing breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation together. Before we get started, I would just like to take a moment to wish all of you a happy Father's Day because today in Thailand, December 5th, is Father's Day. They set up Father's Day based on the birthday of King Rama the Nine, which isn't the current king, which is the king that just passed away in 2016. He was a king for many, many, many decades. I think he had the longest reign of any monarch during his lifetime throughout the entire world. And he was really beloved by the Thai people for his community service, helping the Thai people, really doing a lot of things throughout the country, and really providing a role model, an example for generosity and service to helping people. So they actually set up Father's Day and Mother's Day in Thailand based on the birthday of that king. And the Mother's Day is set up based on his wife's birthday, which is August 12th. And previously, I wished everyone a happy Mother's Day during august 12th because we happen to have a class on that day so we're having a class today on father's day which is the 5th of december so if you're a father or even if you're just a man who provides guidance to people in your community i would like to wish you a very happy father's day and thank you for sharing your wisdom and guidance with people in your community because this is the way that we build up our communities is by the elders sharing wisdom and knowledge with the younger generation. This is something that we've really lost in Western communities that we used to have, you know, 40, 60, 80 years ago, where the younger generation really looked to the older generation for guidance and for wisdom. And because of this, our communities were much more supported. There was a lot more politeness, kindness, and respect throughout western communities back then because the elders really took time to share wisdom with the younger generation and the younger generations really appreciated that and respected that but somewhere along the line we kind of got lost on our way and now oftentimes we see that the younger generation isn't really maybe interested in learning with the older generation or maybe the older generation is a little bit too preoccupied with all the things that we've got going on in our life that we don't take the time to share with the younger generation in a patient, kind, and caring way. So I'd just like to kind of pause for a moment and just wish all of you a very happy Father's Day or any man who's out there providing guidance and helping people in your community. That's really one of the best things we can be doing to be building up our communities and helping us all to come together and be more united as an entire world. So thank you. So now that you're with us and you're planning to do some meditation, let's just talk just real briefly that this meditation that we're going to be doing is a guided meditation where we're going to be doing breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation together. This is something that I do on Wednesdays as well as Saturdays. On Sundays, we do a Dhamma talk, which is based on the book developing a life practice, the path that leads to nibbana. Each week, we take a chapter from this book. And on Sundays, we talk about that. And then on Wednesdays, we do meditation or chanting. And then on Saturdays, we do meditation as well. Next Sunday, which is tomorrow, we're going to be in chapter 18, which is eliminating fears. Are you really scared? So if you would like to download a copy of this, you can see the link wherever you're watching this from and you'll be able to download this book and start to learn side by side in these live classes and actually do meditation as well. Which is what we're going to be doing today these two styles of meditation breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation are the two primary styles of meditation that the buddha taught in order to train the mind to awaken to enlightenment because they take care of the two problems out of the three main problems that he discovered with the mind he discovered this craving anger and ignorance or unknowing of true reality We also call this greed, hatred and delusion or unknowing of true reality. They're referred to as the three poisons or the three unwholesome roots or the three fires. And there's specific antidotes to addressing these three poisons or these three unwholesome roots as a way to eliminate them from the mind and cultivate the opposite which would allow the mind to gain wisdom and awaken to this enlightened mental state where the mind is peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy permanently. This means that once the mind becomes enlightened and experiences enlightenment, it will no longer experience any discontentedness whatsoever. That means the mind will completely eliminate sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, Boredom, loneliness, jealousy, shyness, resentment, all of these discontent feelings and others are eliminated from the mind as part of training the mind. And if you're currently experiencing any of these discontent feelings or others, it's just because you haven't trained the mind yet. The mind's still unenlightened. The more that you learn the Buddhist teachings and you train the mind through his teachings, learning the teachings, practicing them in daily life to include meditation, but not only meditation, there's other aspects of his teachings that you need to learn and practice besides meditation. But when you do this, what happens is the mind gradually moves from this unenlightened mental state to the enlightened mental state where the mind is just completely peaceful and you never experience any discontent feelings whatsoever. It just requires dedication and commitment from you, essentially making this path a priority. Because oftentimes we get really busy and caught up in our life and we don't even realize that we're not really attending to our own needs and what we need in this world in order to produce this peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. A lot of us are going around the world chasing happiness, and because happiness isn't permanent, we can never keep it permanently, therefore the mind ends up sad or angry or frustrated. So pursuing happiness wouldn't actually lead to permanent happiness, because happiness is not permanent. So it's kind of like a misnomer or kind of sabotaging yourself if you're constantly trying to pursue happiness. This path to enlightenment that the Buddha shared, it's all about attaining a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. And this is actually permanent once you learn how to train the mind in this direction. Because as you train the mind, then you can control the mind. So today in this meditation, what we're going to be doing is training the mind to let go of our thoughts, our ideas, perceptions, and focus on the breath. This brings the mind to the present moment so that the mind can reside in the present moment, peaceful, calm, serene, content with joy. Because if the mind's focused on the past and it's worried about the past or it's living in the past, then it can't be peaceful, calm, serene, content with joy because it's going to have fear or sadness or anger or whatever other discontent feelings that come up. And if the mind's in the future And it's so worried about the future, then the mind's going to have anxiety and stress and all these other feelings are going to come into the mind. But when you train the mind through breathing mindfulness meditation to be in the present moment, to let go of all these thoughts and just focus on the breath, which is the present moment then the mind can reside peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. So this is just a little basic introduction to what breathing mindfulness meditation is, but there's a lot more detail that you need to learn than just this. But I just wanted to give you a little piece before we jump into our guided meditation today. And then after a period of time, we'll move into loving kindness meditation, which we're going to be repeating affirmations in the mind in order to cultivate active goodwill towards all beings without judgment. That's what loving kindness is. This active goodwill towards all beings without judgment, where if there's anybody in your life that you hate or have anger towards or ill will, you're able to let that go and practice having loving kindness, which would be very polite, kind, friendly, respectful conversations with anybody and everybody. And by all of us doing this individually around the world, then we're able to create a more peaceful world. See, where we oftentimes get this wrong in the unenlightened state is we oftentimes go around trying to change everybody else because we think everyone else is the problem. And it never works because you can't change other people. You can only change your own mind. So what the Buddha's path is all about is training your mind because it's you that is having the problems in the mind. While the ego might want to make you think you're perfect, you're really not. And this path to enlightenment is all about looking inward And solving the problems in the human mind. And you can do that because it's the mind that you're living with right now. And you have complete ability to learn and practice teachings that train that mind. But you can't force somebody else to do that. And there's no sense of even trying. So what this whole path is about is recognizing that this anger and frustration and irritation and boredom and loneliness and guilt and shame, all these feelings are being produced in your mind. It's not somebody else that's causing these feelings. It's your mind causing them. And the more you learn about the Buddhist teachings through this book that I shared and all the other teachings that the Buddha shared, you can discover how your mind is actually causing your own anger. And then you can implement the remedies and the prescriptions that the Buddha gives as essentially medicine to fix these problems in the human mind. And meditation is just one aspect of that path that we're going to be doing today as a group in order to encourage and support each other. But it's something that you need to be doing all the time Each individual day you need to be meditating once twice or three times per day in order to gradually train the mind in the direction of enlightenment so that you'll then be able to control the mind and no longer experience this anger frustration irritation all this whole mass of discontentedness so before we go into meditation let me just pause here see if we have any questions in Facebook YouTube zoom You're welcome to place your questions in the comment section and our moderator, Max, will make sure they get answered during the class. Or you can use in Zoom, you can raise your hand electronically and ask your question directly. So we'll take some questions now and then we'll take some at the end of our meditation as well.
2: Our first question comes from Judith. She asks, sometimes I fall asleep during meditation Is it better to move slightly during meditation in order to avoid
1: falling asleep? You can. You can also change positions. You can move to walking meditation or standing meditation. You can change your position that way. And if you look in chapter eleven of the book, Developing a Life Practice, I have a little subsection in there about sleepiness and how to actually address that and The best way is to either just go to sleep because your mind needs rest and pick up meditation another time. Or if you're interested in maintaining your meditation session, then you can switch to walking or standing position.
2: As a follow-up, David, how much effort should we be putting into meditation generally? Because sometimes you hear teachers encouraging you to really strive through meditation. There's stories of and Ajans who may meditate all night long. You know, and I know this is the case in Theravada and also Zen. This is not unheard of. At what point should we just listen to the body's physiological needs and put those first?
1: Yeah, I've never needed to do a meditation session longer than probably about an hour, or maybe a slightly over an hour. And as most of you know, I don't even actually time meditation right? Because what I found is when I set an alarm, either I fell short of that alarm and then my mind felt guilty and shameful that I did that and kind of beat myself up about it, or I sat there in meditation kind of craving, right? Is it time yet? Is it time yet? Is it time yet? Is it time yet? And one of the main goals of meditation is to eliminate this craving, desire, attachment. So by setting an alarm, it actually created an aspect of the mind where I started craving. And then there was actually another situation where I found that oftentimes I would set an alarm. I would be meditating really deep in meditation and then the alarm would go off. And I was like, oh man, if I didn't set that alarm, I could have gotten so much more benefit. So I don't actually even set an alarm to see how long, but every once in a while, like now that we're, meditating online, which I haven't done before, and I'm sitting in front of a clock. So I'm kind of looking every once in a while when we finish our meditation. And it seems like it's somewhere between 30 minutes to an hour is what we meditate. And that's been sufficient for me for one, two, three times a day. The closer to three times a day that I do, and the closer to 30 minutes and beyond is what I noticed is the most beneficial. Because the benefits of meditation are accumulative. So, if you think of like having an empty bucket and you're filling up this bucket with water, each time you meditate, you're like scooping water into this bucket. So, if you did one session that was like 10 hours long, and then after that, you did like 10 minutes, 10 minutes, 10 minutes all the time, it's like for those 10 hours, you were scooping a bunch of water in your bucket. And then the other subsequent meditation sessions, you're just scooping a little bit of water. So what I found is a better approach rather than having these big, enormous meditation sessions and then kind of not as much at other times. It's just to be dedicated, consistent, gradual approach where, you know, for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour, one, two, three times a day you're progressing through your meditation practice. And I think the most ideal for a household practitioner is twice a day, morning and evening, and at least 30 minutes if you can build up to that. But everybody starts wherever they start. You know, some people start at five or 10 minutes per session. But then if you can work on expanding that. But if you strive so much in meditation and you're really pushing yourself, then this can be craving, desire, attachment and I know of monks that are enlightened and it's wonderful that they're enlightened but they actually meditated for seven days straight in a cave without going to the bathroom without eating without drinking without sleeping but that particular monk he has a hard time walking now because of his legs and he's kind of destroyed the physical body and nothing about this practice is about destroying the physical body or putting yourself into pain So if you ever feel pain, just adjust your hip, adjust your knee, or, you know, kind of take uh, and just stop and just take an approach where maybe you sit in a chair. So for a long time, I meditated on the floor, which I still do, but I require a lot of pillows under my rear because about a year and a half ago, I had a motorbike accident and I can no longer sit just flat on the floor the way I used to. And this is just the impermanent nature of the human body. And we've got to accept that. And ensure that we're taking care of this physical body because that's one of the things that the buddha taught is taking care of this physical body because without this physical body the mind can't reside in this world so therefore we can't train the mind so we need to take care of this physical body and ensure it's healthy so that the mind will remain in this world and we actually have time to train it during things like meditation
2: right thank you david that makes sense Okay, so we have a question from Deborah. She asks, is it normal to feel lightheaded coming out of meditation?
1: Yes, this is something that can happen as you start getting closer and closer to the jhanas, which are the four kind of deep levels of meditation and deep focus and concentration, not only in meditation, but outside of meditation. These are kind of like precursors to enlightenment itself. But as you're meditating things are changing. Things are shifting. And what they've shown through research is, of course, the mind is not the brain, but the brain is not the mind either. But what does happen is there's some kind of connection there. So as you're actually training the mind in meditation and through these teachings, there's actual physical changes that are happening in the brain. And this happens as early as a two-week period. So, if you didn't do any meditation your entire life and you started meditating within about two weeks, they've been able to see that there's physical changes to the brain through CAT scans and things like this. So, there's physical changes going on. And if you've been meditating, like I know you, Deborah, you've been part of this program for at least six months or so. And if you're meditating more and more frequently, where you've maybe started out with just five minutes once a day, you know, you're know you not gonna really notice much. But if you get up to 30 minutes a session or more, and you're doing it twice a day, you're gonna notice some physical changes and things like feeling dizzy or lightheaded. But these things are all impermanent. This is just the physical brain changing in the body. And if you're interested in learning about this, you can go into YouTube and search for neuroplasticity regarding meditation or neuroscience and meditation or neuroscience and enlightenment. There's actually scientists that understand enlightenment and they're actually researching the physical brain and how the physical brain changes through the course of training in meditation. And ultimately when someone attains enlightenment, their brain has physically changed. And once it physically changes, it never reverts back to the way it was before. They've studied that aspect of it too. This goes along with what Gautama Buddha was saying about enlightenment is permanent in this unshakable mind. So once the mind goes from this unenlightened condition with this unenlightened brain, and it's trained to move to this enlightened mind, with this enlightened brain, we know that it's permanent. And there's actually scientific evidence now in this field of neuroscience and neuroplasticity that shows that the physical changes to the brain for someone who's meditating and ultimately potentially attains enlightenment, those changes in the brain are actually permanent as well. So you might feel this lightheadedness. You might feel even a little bit of nausea. Some people talk about feeling their head kind of expanding and getting really big and large, like the size of an elephant. And this is just the changes in the mind that are affecting the changes in the brain. And after all these changes slowly start taking effect, eventually you won't feel that lightheadedness anymore. You won't feel the same effect. But the fact that you are feeling it, means that everything's going right it's going well that's exactly what you would like to experience and that shows that the mind is starting to gradually awaken if you're experiencing some of these symptoms
2: okay thank you david we have no more
1: questions at this time okay well i'll just invite you guys then to go ahead and take your meditation position if you're on the floor you probably would like to put some cushions under your rear if you're in a chair you probably just want to sit flat and put your feet flat on the floor or cross your legs this isn't about everybody being in exactly the same position it's about finding the position that's comfortable for you so if you're on the floor with cushions under your rear that helps to release the pressure at the hips so it lessens the angle at the hips and if you're going to cross your legs be sure to don't cross them really, really tightly into your body because that's going to inhibit the circulation. You would like to keep the circulation flowing in the lower body. Then the upper body should be nice and erect with the spine nice and erect because that's going to engage the mind. We would like to keep the mind active and attentive during this meditation session. So if you're just relaxed on the couch and laying back and so comfortable the mind's going to have a tendency to turn off so you really need to get into a position where you can have a nice erect spine which is going to engage the muscles which will ultimately keep the mind more active and engaged the hands and the arms there's lots of different options here the buddha placed his right hand on top of the left with his thumbs together and if this works for you placing that in your lap then you can do that. But not everybody is going to feel comfortable with that. The goal isn't for everyone to do exactly what Gautama Buddha did, because that's permanence. It's impossible. So if that feels comfortable for you, use it. But if it doesn't, put your hands perhaps flat on your lap, put them on your knee, put them on the armrest of your chair, put them with the palms up, There's lots of different options here. And my role as a meditation teacher and a teacher on this path to enlightenment is to help you find what is most comfortable for you. So you find what's most comfortable for you, but ensure that your meditation position isn't luxurious. Okay. Because if it's luxurious, then the mind's going to have a tendency to turn off and unengage. So comfortable, but not luxurious. So next, just kind of close the eyes and start breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. You want to establish a nice, steady, consistent breath. In through the nose and out through the nose. Breathing in In, out. I'd like you to focus the mind on the breath, the sound of the breath, or the sensation of the air moving over the skin into the nose. The breath is the present moment, so focus the mind on the breath. Establish a nice, steady, consistent breath, breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Just observe the breath. You're just kind of getting started here, just to kind of bring awareness of mind to the breath. I'm gonna do some chanting to kinda ease us into meditation a bit, and then I'm gonna come back with some more guidance.
3: Hotang makawa nang apiwa supadhipano but here, but Hara Hato Samma Sam Potasa Nap Moor Hassa Paco Atto Hara to some masam potasa. Eighty piece of mahaka. Hara hangs bhuvicca caranang Samhuno toroka vitu anu ho oh, oh, to
1: To be breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. We're doing breathing mindfulness meditation to get started. Breathing in and out. Focus the mind on the breath, the sound of the breath, or the sensation of the air moving over the skin into the nose this is the present moment breathing in in out breathing in And out. The mind can reside in the present moment peaceful, calm, serene and content with joy. So bring the mind to the breath, the present moment. Focusing only on the breath. Breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. As the mind goes to the past or to the future, wherever you notice that, just cut it off. Let it go. And bring the mind to the breath. You haven't done anything wrong. No need to feel guilty that the mind has wandered. That's what the unenlightened mind does. But wherever you notice that, let it go. Cut it off and focus on the breath. Breathing in and out. If there's any thoughts, ideas, or perceptions, cut those off, let them go And bring the mind back to the breath. No need to judge the thoughts. No need to label them. No need to even try to figure out where they're from. That's just the unenlightened mind wanting to take you on a journey. But now, you're going to train the mind to focus on the breath so that you can control the mind. So just let them go and focus on the breath. Breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. Your mind's even going to want to hold on to my voice. But we're not interested in that happening. So I'm going to be quiet and just sit here and meditate with you. And then I'll be back with loving-kindness meditation. So you need to let go of everything, including the sound of my voice, to focus on the breath. Breathing in and out. Breathing in And out. You have nowhere to go, there's nothing to do, no one needs you right now. This is your time to train the mind, just let it all go and focus on the breath. Breathing in and out, breathing in and out. Now we'll move into our loving-kindness meditation. When you hear me speak the affirmation, repeat this in the mind on the out-breath. Here you're cultivating active goodwill towards all beings without judgment. May I be safe. May I be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. save. May we be free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes. save. may they be free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes May all mothers throughout the world be peaceful. Safe, may they be well. Free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes. children throughout the world be peaceful. Be safe. May they be well. May they be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. families, wherever they are, be peaceful. be safe, may they be well. May they be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. family, be peaceful, may they be safe. May they be well. May they be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. Present and future be peaceful. Be safe. May they be well. May they be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. Meditation, cutting off the thoughts, letting them go, breathing in and out.
3: Tara Om. Pa ma Sa saṅṅhāṁ nāmaṁ āmī nāpmodhasa bhagavato hārahato sammā Nap more her sap hackow ato, harahato, some man sampo tassar. harahato, some man Iti piso mahaka arahang sama samu tohuicha jaranang samu no saka Anu tero puri sa tamasati sata tava manu Okay,
1: you guys can start to slowly come out of meditation now. what we all just did is very beneficial for the mind and therefore beneficial for your life. This is something that you should dedicate yourself to every day. Of course, there's going to be the occasional day where you might forget or you might be too tired or you might be sick or you might be hurt. That's impermanence. There'll be a day here or there that you're not able to meditate. But the goal is to meditate every day. That's the goal. At least do breathing mindfulness meditation. And then where you're able, you can do loving kindness meditation as well as part of your practice. Add that in. And what we just did is meditation. This active dedicated, purposeful training session of the mind. A lot of times nowadays, people feel that if they go running, they're meditating, or if they go for a drive, they're meditating, or if they're gardening, they're meditating. While this is healthy for the mind to relax the mind, it's not actually meditation. Meditation is this active, dedicated, purposeful, independent training session where we're either eliminating certain qualities from the mind or we're cultivating certain qualities in the mind, and that's meditation. So we need to do this every day as a part of our training, this daily consistent training, along with learning and practicing all the other teachings. So dedicate yourself to doing this. And if you can only get five or 10 minutes sometimes, then that's okay or if other times you get 45 minutes or an hour, that's okay, whatever works. But the closer you get to 30 minutes and beyond, you'll see more progress. And the closer you get to two or three times a day, you'll see more progress, not only in your meditation, but in your daily life. You'll see this anger go down to frustration, irritation, annoyance, maybe this slight little dislike And then eventually, you won't have any of that whatsoever as you work towards this goal. So by you dedicating more and more time each day to this practice of learning and practicing the teachings, you'll just move along this path at a better and better pace. But still, you're pursuing enlightenment as a goal, an objective, or an interest. If you just want it so bad or you crave it so bad, it's going to cause discontentedness in the mind and you'll never be able to attain enlightenment that way. You have to even eliminate the craving, the desire, the attachment, that strong eagerness or longing, even for enlightenment itself. Just gradually progress towards it and know that you're headed in the right direction because you notice that the condition of the mind's improving. And that's how you know you're headed in the right direction. So no need to crave it, no need to desire it, no need to be attached to it, no need to have this longing and strong eagerness for it because you can tell in your mind that you're headed in the right direction. Things are improving each day, each week, each month. You're headed in the right direction. And that's all you need to do is just keep walking in the right direction, okay? So, what questions do you guys have, either on meditation or the Buddhist teachings or anything that's coming up in your life that you'd like to talk about? Let me know what questions you have.
2: We have a question from Mina. First of all, she says, Happy Father's Day, David.
1: Oh, thank you. <laughs> a question.
2: When we find the mind holding on to thoughts more than focused on the breath during some meditation sessions, What can we do to improve cutting thoughts with mindfulness?
1: Just keep at it and keep your sessions going, you know, two, three per day. And if you need more, I mean, there were times when I meditated five, six, you know, times a day in some situations. And that was what I needed at that particular time. So just stick with it and continue to expand it longer and longer. You're going to have times where your mind is just stuck on a particular thought and you just can't let it go and it's going to take two three days three four five sessions and eventually it will let go because we know it's impermanent just a matter of time so rather than force it or crave it just know with awareness of mind that the mind's still holding on to thoughts there's not complete stillness and peacefulness in the mind during meditation yet and that's okay that's just where you are right now. So don't crave something different than that. Just recognize it for what it is and just stay dedicated to the practice and consistency to keep meditating each day.
2: In addition to our dedicated meditation sessions each day, David, would you ever recommend at certain points we might just settle in for 30 seconds or 10 seconds or even one breath? Is that something you've ever found useful just to cut up the day?
1: Yeah. Like if there's this particular thing in the past where it was very difficult and, you know, if you've been meditating regularly in these dedicated sessions for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour, or even 20 minutes or what have you, if you've been doing this regularly and training the mind to let go, but you're still not enlightened yet, then in daily life, if something comes up, someone cuts you off in traffic or you get a bad phone call and it's you get bad news, or you get a ticket in the mail from the police because they've got those cameras now and you get a ticket and you're like, what am I gonna do? I don't really have any money. You can just close the eyes and just let it go. Even if it's just that 10 seconds, like you said, or one breath or 30 seconds, because if you've done the work in meditation to train the mind to let thoughts go, and you've done that consistently over a longer and longer period of time, focus on the breath, you can actually use that to your advantage when you feel a little bit of anger arising or a little bit of frustration or irritation because the mind's not quite enlightened yet, but you're on the way. So what you can do is apply that right effort, which right effort, that sixth step of the Eightfold Path is abandoning unwholesome mental qualities and arising wholesome mental qualities. So with awareness of mind, which is that seventh step, mindfulness, awareness of mind, if you get a ticket in the mail from the police and you're like, whoa, $200. I only have $50 in my bank account. And you start feeling some frustration and pressure and stress arise. No reason to get stressed about it. That's not going to fix anything. Just set it down. Just breathe in and out, in and out. And because you've done that so well consistently over multiple meditation sessions, you'll be able to more readily let those things go. You can even get to the point where you can start feeling stress in the mind starting to arise and you can just close the mind and you can actually feel the mind cutting the attachment and eliminating the attachment. The Buddha called this maturing in release. That when you develop your practice well enough, all of these accumulated benefits, they mature and release. So you're releasing this stress. You're releasing this burden. You're releasing the attachments. And you can actually feel the stress just completely lift from the mind. And you may have felt this even before Learning and practicing these teachings where if you felt something really heavy on your shoulders, as soon as the mind lets it go, it leaves you in an instant. And you can oftentimes feel this when you're looking at a ticket in the mail or you get bad news or something starts to arise in the mind, maybe jealousy or resentment. You can have mindfulness, awareness of mind so deep that you can actually feel the moment you eliminate the attachment and then the stress or whatever discontent feeling that had arise, you can actually feel it eliminate, you know, let go. And the Buddha called this maturing in release, in release, not end, but in release. So all of these teachings mature in release, and you can feel the pressure released from the mind, the discontentedness released from the mind.
2: Does this mean, David, that if we do get a speeding ticket from the police, that we
1: shouldn't blame the police for making us angry? (laughs) Yeah, it's not the police's fault, even if the ticket's wrong, even if it's an even if it's an illegal ticket. Right. Let's say the camera was broken because of impermanence. And let's say that you got the ticket and, and you actually are right that you didn't run the red light, for example. And it was just that the technology was broken because of impermanence even in that situation if you get angry it's still you're causing it yourself either the ego wants to be right or you're attached to money you know having craving or attachment to money or maybe like you don't have much time right now to actually go to the government and actually sort this out and you're craving and having this eagerness strong eagerness to get certain things done there's some craving desire attachment somewhere that you're longing and having this strong eagerness for, and it may be more than one. And even if it's a ticket that is wrong and it's not accurate, if you get angry at it or you get frustrated at it, you're causing it yourself. It wasn't caused by the technology. It wasn't caused by the police. It's caused by your mind not being trained to recognize, ah, impermanence. The camera was broken. I didn't run the red light ah, this is a ticket. This ticket is impermanent. I can go down to the government building and I can sort this out. All I got to do is go down there, talk polite, talk kind, talk friendly, talk respectful, help them see very clearly that I was behind the line when the light was red and, you know, or I was, you know, all the way in the middle of the intersection by the time the light turned red or whatever it was. I can clearly show this to a judge or to a clerk or to a policeman, and I can get this resolved. No reason to get frustrated and irritated about it, because if I walk down there to the government building and start spouting off with anger and hostility to people, that's not going to help anything. So what these teachings do is it provides you this ability to maintain your calmness, maintain your contentedness, even in situations where the ticket is an illegitimate ticket and you can walk down and you can sort this out because of impermanence you recognize that this technology was broken you were correct but rather than allow the ego to come into it and hostility and harsh words you can use all these different aspects of the buddhist teachings to practice right view which is accept responsibility for your own emotions practice right intention which is harmlessness and not interested to cause harm. Practice right speech, which is practicing those five factors of well-spoken speech. Practice all the other teachings, which includes loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, equanimity, keeping the mind calm and composed even during difficult situations. Getting rid of the ego, eliminating that ego and that self. And when you gather up all of these teachings of the Buddha, you can get at something like a illegitimate ticket and you can just politely smile, walk down to the courthouse or wherever you need to go and solve it. And no big deal. And you're not stressed about it. And, uh, it turns out wonderfully because people will listen to you because you're calm and you're respectful and you're polite. This is the karma: action, result, cause and effect essentially the result of your decisions. If we go down there being rude and hostile and difficult and vindictive and resentful, it's not gonna turn out well because we made the choice to go down there and be that way. Whereas if we choose to go down to the government building and be polite, kind, friendly, respectful, it's gonna turn out well because there's gonna be people there that are gonna look at the ticket, look at the pictures, they're going to see the same exact thing you see that, yeah, you actually were fine. You, that's not a, an illegal thing. We must have a broken camera or broken technology. They're going to see the same thing you see, and you're going to get it solved. It's just going to take a little bit of time, a little bit of effort, and you can get it resolved. So no need to allow the mind to become unraveled just because of a simple ticket. All
2: right. Yeah. Thank you, David. We have a question from Neil. Why do I find loving-kindness meditation easier to do than breathing mindfulness?
1: I think the reason why, Neil, is because loving-kindness meditation has this affirmation and something that the mind's actually doing as part of the meditation. I mean, there's something that you're doing during breathing mindfulness meditation too, but with loving-kindness meditation, you know, there's my voice. There's like guidance. You can hear it. Your mind is kind of fixated to that voice, where with breathing mindfulness meditation is just complete quiet and you're just sitting there with your thoughts rather than actively cultivating this active goodwill for all beings without judgment sometimes the most challenging meditation is when you're completely quiet and you're left with your own thoughts there's people here in thailand that'll go meditate in caves they'll go like for 10 hours or 24 hours into caves and it's just complete quiet And I've never actually done that, but people tell me that that's actually the most challenging type of meditation, where oftentimes people think that they get disturbed when they hear like little sounds of traffic or their neighbors next door or something like this, or their child, you know, something like this can be problematic for their meditation. In reality, from what I've experienced is when you're just with your thoughts and everything's just quiet and still that's the most challenging. But with loving kindness meditation, there's this voice where I'm speaking and there's this affirmation and there's something for the mind to do other than sit with its own thoughts. So that's probably why loving kindness is easier for you right now. But that tells you that you need to do more breathing mindfulness meditation as well. And keep at that because it is challenging for the mind and the mind doesn't like it you're gonna perhaps either wanna run away from that and not do it, or what you should do instead is actively walk towards it and be like, ah, my mind doesn't like that, so I need to train it to actually do that, right? So anytime you see something that the mind doesn't like, you need to instead, walking away from it, actually walk towards it, so that you can actively train the mind to be peaceful, calm, serene, content with joy, in any and all situations so wherever you discover that the mind doesn't like something that should be an indicator for you aha I need to walk towards that so if you notice like the mind doesn't like to be in large crowds like at a mall or something then you need to put the mind in that situation and get it comfortable in large crowds or if your mind doesn't like being alone and going to the mall by yourself then you need to do that and put it in that situation until it feels comfortable. Or if your mind doesn't like to be around kids, which I don't know, that's not true because you have kids. But you know, anytime you see something where the mind's like, ah, I don't like that. Well, that's going to cause aversion where the mind's going to want to push it away. So you need to do just the opposite is walk towards it and train the mind to reside peaceful calm serene and content with joy in that situation and that's what an enlightened mind does is it's always going to be peaceful calm serene and content with joy in any and all situations so where you uncover these little places where the mind isn't peaceful calm serene and content with joy that's where you would like to walk towards that situation and train the mind to reside in that situation peaceful calm serene and content with joy
2: we have a follow-up from neil Would it be fair to say aversion is a form of grasping?
1: I sometimes talk about it that way, although aversion has its own unique qualities, right? So craving, desire, attachment or this grasping that you talk about is the mind having this longing with a strong eagerness to hold on to things or grasp for things or look externally for satisfaction. That's grasping or craving, desire, attachment. This hatred, anger, ill will, or aversion is pushing things away from you because you're trying to create this bubble that you feel is like a perfect, peaceful bubble. And when something comes into your bubble that you disagree with, you push it away and you erect a wall. This is aversion. But oftentimes I talk about it as it's essentially craving for a certain peacefulness. So you can look at it as this grasping or craving as well, but it does have this unique quality where you kind of erect a wall around you and you kind of push things out of your way. And oftentimes the mind becomes hostile and angry and aggressive when there's aversion involved. So while it is kind of a grasping or craving for a certain peacefulness, that the mind's looking for it has these other aspects to it that makes it unique so that's why it's part of that second poison of hatred anger ill will or aversion we have a question
2: from amina if we
1: become frustrated when realizing that someone has told a serious lie
2: should we see that as impermanence as well or is it better to let go of our ego altogether and not take the lie personally
1: yeah don't take the lie personally because You're never going to exist in a world where all people tell the truth all the time. So if you allow the mind to become angry or frustrated or irritated or even annoyed at somebody lying to you, then your mind is still craving permanence. You're still craving for everyone to always tell the truth. And this is the primary problem that the Buddha discovered. So when somebody tells you a lie, you've just got to recognize that for what it is, which is they're lacking the wisdom to know that they shouldn't tell lies. Or if they have that wisdom, they're lacking the self-control of the mind to not lie. And it's not a reflection of you or who you are. It's just that they've chosen to lie. And you can't allow your mind to get irritated every time somebody tells a lie or else your mind is still attached your mind is still craving desiring attached to this permanence and every time someone tells a lie you're just going to get irritated all the time so this can be partially the ego as well amina i know you've been looking at that recently it can be the ego especially if it's your child lying you can feel like how dare her like i'm her mom like i would never lie to her like how can she lie to me like oh my goodness they're trying to pull the wool over my eyes or even if it's a friend or a family member You can take it more personally. So if there's already craving, desire, attachment in the relationship to like a child or a family member or a partner and they lie to you, it can actually cause the mind to become discontent even more because there's other craving, desires, attachments there. Where if it was a stranger walking down the street that lied to you, it probably wouldn't have the same effect where someone who you're already in an existing relationship with who you have existing craving desire attachment to that lie can actually be more impactful so it's important that you not only look at the craving desire attachment that the mind craves permanence that everyone tells you the truth but look at the other attachments that are involved there too which could potentially be attachment to that person or the relationship or there may be some ego in there as well I have a question.
2: When we practice breathing mindfulness meditation, should the intention be more about abandoning thoughts, letting them go, or becoming concentrated?
1: The concentration is kind of a byproduct of the meditation. The concentration, where it comes from, is by letting go of all these attachments and training the mind to be in the present moment, the mind becomes unburdened because carrying around craving, desire, attachment to all of these various things that the mind has, it's very burdensome on the mind. As you start eliminating these attachments in meditation and in daily life through identifying them and actively working to eliminate them, the mind actually becomes more concentrated as a byproduct of that. As you know, you get more focus, you get more clarity of mind, you get more concentration, and you get deeper memory as well. And the Buddha called this laying down the burden, So it's very burdensome to the mind to carry this around. And this is why, like Deborah's question about feeling lightheaded, this is common after meditation or even like during your day, you might feel a little bit woozy because you're starting to let go of all of this attachment, all of this anger, all of this ignorance, all of this... Poisons are starting to come out of the mind, and the mind's like, Whoa, I am not used to this. Like, wow, this feels kind of strange. And you kind of have to get real stable with your meditation practice and feel more stable. So, the goal is to focus on the breath, Max. And there's a lot of things that are happening there when you are focused on the breath. You're training the mind to let things go, to cut things off. You're training the mind to be aware. So, having mindfulness. You're training the mind to be in the present moment. And all of these things are promoting and creating concentration, clarity of thought, focus, and deep memory in the mind. But those are all byproducts of having trained the mind to eliminate craving, desire, attachment.
2: Got it. Okay. Thank you. It appears we have no more questions at this time.
1: Okay. Well, I'll just thank you guys for joining for today's online class, spending this Father's Day together here in Thailand. And um you know, here in Thailand on these kind of days, we all go out and spend time with family. And in Thailand, we spend a lot of time with family. You know, I think when I was in America, probably 90, 95 percent of my life was work, 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 work. And because of that, I was very, very stressed out when I lived in America. But here in Thailand, I would say probably about 40 to 60 percent of your life And 60 percent is kind of pushing it. It's kind of more like 40 percent is your work and some people even 20% where it's like 60 to 80% of your life is spending time with your family and spending time with the people that are close to you and your neighbors and people like this. And this is what the Buddha talked about as the middle way, but we talk about as a balanced lifestyle. Everybody talks about a balanced lifestyle in the world. A lot of people do, but we don't really define what is a balanced lifestyle. Well, a balanced lifestyle to me is that the first priority for all of us should be that we focus on training the mind. That should be the first priority for everybody. Every individual should make that a priority and be dedicated to training the mind. Because if that's not going well, then your whole life, everything feels horrible when the mind isn't well trained and it's cluttered or it's stressful or experiencing this discontentedness. We've got to make that a first priority, is training the mind. Then we've got to take care of our physical health. Because if the physical body isn't healthy, then the mind doesn't have a place to reside. So we've got to take care of that physical health, making sure that we eat well, that we sleep well, that we drink water, that we get physical exercise, if that's something that's important to you. So taking care of the mind and the physical body will give you what you need here right now in this vessel, in this kind of shell of a body to ensure that you're taking care of the mind and the physical body. Then the third priority for us should be our families, spending time with our life partner, our children, our friends, our mother, our father, these kind of people, brothers and sisters, That's a really important priority. And you see that a lot here in Thailand. People spending time with their families because that's really what life's truly about is being able to spend time with people that are close to you and that you care about. And then the fourth priority is work, truly. The fourth priority is work. That's where we earn our money and we use that money to sustain our life. But where a lot of us are taught and we get this wrong, is we often put the work first. And then because we put the work first, then we put everyone else first after that. Then we put ourselves after everybody else. So typically the way that we organize our life in the Western world is it's work, everybody else, and then us. And then that's why we end up feeling empty and we end up feeling lost. And we feel like, you know, gosh, you know, like I just feel so tired all the time. Right. I remember those days. But if you reprioritize this and you make training the mind your number one priority, keeping your mental health as a priority, making your physical health a priority, making time with your family and spending time with the people close to you a priority, and then make sure that you're working and maintaining an income to sustain all of what you're doing in your life, then you've got a really balanced life. And anything else you do beyond these four priorities is kind of like gravy. It's kind of like extra. But those are the way that I suggest that people prioritize their life. And by doing it that way, you ensure that you're working towards developing this middle way in this balanced life where you can reside in the world peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. But if you make this mental health the very last priority on your list, how could you ever attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy if that's your last priority? That's got to be your first priority. Because if your mind is peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, you're going to make better decisions about your physical health. You're going to make better decisions with your family and your loved ones. You're going to have deeper, stronger relationships. And you're going to have more people around you to help you when you need help in this life. And then of course, that's gonna move into your professional life and your work as well. And you're gonna be better at work when your mental health, physical health and your family are well. If your family aren't well, it's gonna be hard for you to perform at work. So you've gotta take care of the mind, the body and your family, and then ensure that you have an income to sustain your life. This is a balanced lifestyle and meditation is an important part of that mental health, that very first priority to dedicate yourself to. So thank you for joining me. I'll see you tomorrow if you join for eliminating fears. Are you really scared? We're gonna be talking about how to eliminate fears. And then on Wednesday, we're gonna be talking about chanting and teaching chanting. And then on Saturday, we'll do some more meditation again together. So have a good rest of your day and I'll see you tomorrow at the same time. 9 o'clock Thai time or whatever time that is in your neck of the woods. Have a lovely day. Saba Thank you for listening to this podcast. To
0: provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit Wisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment.